So we have been going through a sermon series titled Cross Check. And in this sermon series, we have been focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ and the happenings around the Easter weekend, the different characters therein in the Easter weekend, and looking at God's view of those characters in the Easter weekend. The first Sunday, we covered the sermon titled Creating God in Our Image. And in that sermon, we focused on the religious leaders and how God viewed the religious leaders. What happened is that the religious leaders had created in their minds a God who was okay with all the evil that they were doing. They, were, uh, they had created a God in their minds who was okay with them, making up all these accusations against Jesus and taking him to the Romans so that he is crucified. They were, they were so convinced that they were serving Yahweh. They were so convinced that God was actually applauding them and celebrating them. In that sermon, we observe that it is very possible for us, just like the religious leaders, to create God in our own image because of the knowledge that we have of him. And per se, you could say that I have, I have read in scripture that God is a loving God. And because I know God is a loving God, I assume that that is all God is. He is nothing else except being loving. So that's one of the ways that we can get to create God in our own image. Second is based on our experience, that sometimes we have experienced an element of God, a part of God, and we assume that that defines who God is completely. We also say that we can recreate God in our own image based on what we hope he, he should be and what we expect him to be. For example, we expect him to understand that we can't find the time to seek him. So we assume that God is okay with us not seeking him. We had three uh, action points from that sermon and we say that if we have recreated God in any way that we need to repent and turn away from that we said number two that we need to humble ourselves be humble enough to acknowledge that we do not know everything about God and number three we say that we need to seek him and know him so that we know what he wants us to do today and what he has in store for us today I'd quickly like to add to that and say that God may have done something yesterday using a particular uh, method, but then today he wants to do it in a whole different method. A good example is Jesus. Jesus healed people differently. Uh, he would meet a blind man and heal him in a different way. Next time he would heal uh, the, the same, uh, a different person in uh, a different person who is blind in a different way. Some sometime you just tell the, the, the person, please go back, and when you get back home, your son will be healed. In a different uh, point of time, he would come and touch the person. Again, God would want to do things the way He wants. So let's let's not assume that we know exactly how He's going to do it. That was the first sermon. The second sermon last Sunday was titled, Who is Your God? And we were focusing specifically on the political leaders and God's view of the political leaders. We specifically focused on Pilate and his dilemma, the, di the, the dilemma to do the right thing, which was to release Jesus Christ, who was innocent, and him being in a sticky situation where him releasing Jesus Christ meant that possibly he would have lost his job. From that sermon, we identified that just like Pilate, we can find ourselves in sticky situations where we get to actually reveal who truly our God is. That in that sticky situation, we can either choose to be pleasing to God, to look out, to honor God, or to save our own skin. 
Now, somebody gave me feedback after last week's sermon, and they told me that this is what they took home. Who is your first priority in life? And really, in sticky situations, whomever you choose to be the number one in your life becomes or is a revelation of who your God is. In it, we identified that we need to pay the cost for, uh, for living for God, for obeying him and representing him in all circumstances, especially when the cost is very high. Now, as I was preparing for today's sermon, I bumped into Peter in the Bible and, and realized that Peter's denial of Jesus is a good representation of the sermon that we had last Sunday, where Peter found himself amongst people that were hostile to Christ. And three different times he was asked, were you not the guy who was with Jesus? And every single time he denied Jesus. Why? Because the situation was so sticky enough that if he stood out and said, I belong to Christ, it would have cost him, and maybe it would have cost him so highly. So at that point, he chose to put Christ on the side so that he saves his own his own, I almost said saves his own screen, so that he saves his own skin. Um, we had three take-homes from that sermon. That number one, we need to determine and make a choice who our God is, who the first priority in our life will be. Number two, we say that we need to choose to die to self. That unless we die to self, guys, we cannot have Yahweh as our God. We cannot serve Yahweh and at the same time serve ourselves. Number three, we say that we need to choose to love God more than we love anyone else or anything else. That if we get to love our children more than we love God, then that is not an order that is okay with Yahweh. If we get to love our jobs more than we love Yahweh, then that is not the order that Christ would want us to have. And so today is the third sermon in this sermon series, Cross Check, and the sermon title today is Lessons from the Disciples. Now, we don't have a specific uh, title like the rest because there are several lessons that we'll get out of this sermon. And ideally, as you can all guess, we are focusing on which characters in the Easter story? The disciples. Thank you. So we are focusing on the disciples during the Easter story and God's view of these disciples during that time. Our sermon structure is going to be a bit different because uh, we have several uh, key take-homes or key lessons from it, six of them to be specific. And so it's going to be a bit different from what we've had before. Uh, but let's get right in. So six things that we can think about out of this sermon. Number one, is it possible that we have been doing Christian activities yet we don't truly love God? Let me say that again. Is it possible that we have been doing Christian activities yet we don't truly love God? And people looking at us, and thank you, Rosemary. Uh, let me just go back. Rosemary, thank you for leading us exceptionally well. You asked us a very important question. What is the motivation that we have in serving, and what is the blessing that we get in serving in the different ministries that we get to serve? And sometimes we, we can be caught up serving God. We can be caught up practicing the different Christian disciplines that we should practice. And actually, like Reverend Gobi would put it, we know the Christianism, we know what to say, and everyone else looking at us would think, hey, this person must be having such a good relationship with God. 
that people looking from the outside will think that that is, that is the benchmark of what it means to have a good relationship with God. But guys, however much we may be doing all these activities, if our heart is not in it, if we don't mean these things from the depth of our hearts, that then it is not pleasing to God. That we are actually practicing the same thing like the Pharisees were doing and the religious leaders were doing, that we have the shell of it. We're just doing rituals, but our heart is not in it. One of the disciples is an example of this, and we get to read in Scripture, Matthew chapter 26, verses 14, all the way to 16. If you're opening your Bibles, Matthew 26, 14 to 16. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then um, on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And Judas was in a very good position. Judas was one of the twelve. Jesus had several categories of people in his life. Jesus had the multitudes, the crowds, the 5,000 men plus women and children whom he fed. He had that crowd. Jesus had uh, a smaller group of people who were following him. I remember at a time after he had resurrected, he met a group of 500 people and, and, and he, uh, he, he appeared to them and taught them. Jesus had a group of disciples of 72 in number that he sent out to go and preach the gospel. Jesus had a group of the 12 that even were closer to him. They went practically everywhere with him. They learned from him. Jesus taught much more to them than he taught any other people. And Judas was amongst the 12. Now, imagine you are part of the crowd and you looked at Judas and saw him. He's part of the 12. And you would think that, hey, man, Judas has a good relationship with our Savior. Judas is the guy. Judas is the benchmark. And it may look that way for us, that we who go to church, we who call ourselves Christians, while other people out there who don't get to do the things that we do, they may look at us and think, hey, look at Pastor Kibet. Mm, this guy must be praying six hours a day. This guy must, yeah, he must be eat with Christ Jesus. But yet it is very possible that after doing all these things, I don't have a good relationship with Christ. The Christian disciplines in of themselves don't make me to have a good relationship with God. My heart has to be part of it. And so from Judas's example, I'd like to ask us three questions. Why are you with Christ? Why do you come to church? Why do you serve why do you do all these things? Is it because you are convinced, uh, like some of us shared during the, the Sambaza time, is it that we are convinced that serving is what God expects of me, and my serving God is an expression of how much I love God. I can't keep still. This is why I am worshipping God. This, this is how I am worshipping God, rather, by serving him, by doing all these things. Is it because I want to have a better relationship with him? Is it because I understand the benefits that I will get by being in a faith community, that I know that if I have a faith community like Nairobi Chapel Langata, I will be stirred up in my faith and in my work with the Lord? Is that the reason why we get to do these things? Or is it because 
while you are growing up, you, it was a mandatory for people in your household to go to church. And even though you're no longer in that household, it is a culture that you have learned to do, and now you keep up the culture and you continue doing the same thing. Could it be that you'd like people to celebrate you out there and say, I look at that godly person. And so you do all these things and you speak Christianese so that people say, ah, look at that godly woman. Look at that godly man. Is that the reason? Or could it be that you are looking for an advantage that you can get by being a believer in Christ Jesus? And part of it could be that it's easier for you to strike a deal in business because the person you want to do business with is in church. And so you can tell them, I also go to church. And so you, you have a few things to say. But let me bring it closer home. It could be that you're looking for a spouse. You're looking for a godly spouse. And a godly spouses are found where? In the church. And so you do all these things not because you want to be with Christ or you love Christ, but because there's something else you're looking for. If you go and eat in an Italian Italian restaurant, hey, guy, run. Okay, let me try that again. Let me change the example. If you go eat in a Chinese restaurant, <laughs> does it make you Chinese? Good stuff. And so in the same way, you coming to church doesn't make you to have a good relationship with Christ. You, you knowing much about something doesn't make you necessarily have a good relationship with that thing or that person. If we know so much about, about birds, it doesn't make us friends with birds or have a relationship with birds. It's just that we know a lot about birds. So, spending time with Christ, coming to church, doing the different Christian disciplines, you serving and doing all these things, doesn't make you to have a good relationship with Christ. We could be in church for... 10 years, but our relationship with God is so bad because deep down within our hearts, we are not genuinely looking for God. We are looking for the experience. We are looking for the other things, but not looking for God. That's number one. Number two, there is need for us to realize that our willpower and strength is not enough in life. There is need for us to realize that our willpower and our strength is not enough in life. More so when it comes to our relationship with God. More so in our walk with the Lord. We see Peter. Peter is the example that we are using here amongst the disciples. And Peter was so convinced now that he has worked with Christ for all this long that he has come to develop that discipline to be able to make it in life and to be able to thrive in his relationship with God and in serving God. He, he had put his trust in his strength, in his ability, in his willpower. So much so that when Christ said, I am going away from you and you guys will not be able to see me for a while, that Peter was so convinced that wherever it is that you are going, I can go with you. Where, and, and there's nothing that can hinder me from coming to where you will be. And let us lead, read in scripture, John 13, 33 to 37. And it says, little children, this is Jesus speaking, little children, I am with you only a little while longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Lord, where are you going? Simon Peter asked. Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me later. Lord, said Peter, why can't I follow you now? 
I will lay down my life for you. Then we go to Matthew 26, 34 to 35. And it says, truly I tell you, Jesus declared, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter replied, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Never, ever, ever. And all the other disciples said the same very thing. And Peter here was just looking at his own ability and his own resolve and his own convictions and his own willpower that I have resolved that I will not deny you and I cannot be separated from you. And Peter here was making declarations just based on his own strength. Now, Jesus knew where Peter was and Jesus was trying to, to help him come back, to help him realize that it's, your willpower is not enough, your resolve is not enough. And so Jesus told him uh, several things and this is recorded in Luke 22, 31 and then we're going to read Matthew 26, 40. So Luke 22, 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, so that um, your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Jesus is trying to point to Peter that I know you have resolved in your heart, but that is not enough. So I'm going to pray for you. There's a hard time coming ahead, just like uh, Pilate was, uh, had a very sticky situation. You're going to have a hard situation. But I have prayed for you. You need to rely on divine help in this season. You need to rely on God. So I have prayed for you. But let's move on to Matthew 26, 40. Then Jesus returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Um, were you not able to keep watch with me for even one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. A second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, may your will be done. And again, Jesus returned and found them sleeping, for uh, their eyes were heavy. And Jesus is just trying to point out to Peter and to the disciples, Guys, it's not going to take your physical discipline in this situation to help you conquer. You have to rely on God. You have to call on God. Pray that you may not fall into temptation. But Peter Ninani, because Peter relied on his own strength and his own willpower, he failed terribly and he sinned terribly. Now, in the olden days, in, and, and when the Bible was being written, they did not have the advantage of having the writing in bold or writing in italics or underlining, underlining their text. So ideally, they would depict something uh, if, if this thing was, was very true. So they would say, if you hear Jesus say, truly, truly, I say unto you, it means this thing is very important. It's not just, don't take it just at first value, it is very important. But if something was repeated three eyes, it means that this thing was complete. Now, that is not the same thing here, but I would rather, I, I would put it this way, I'm pushing it a little bit, but I, I would like to put it this way, that Peter failed Terribly. He did not just fail. If he denied Jesus once, he would have said, okay, it was a slip of the tongue. The second time he would say, okay, maybe yeah, we understand the situation, the situation was sticky. But three times, man, this guy completely fell, completely rejected Christ. This is what the Bible tells us when we rely on human strength. This is, this is what the Bible says about such a person. Jeremiah 17 verses 5. This is what the Lord says, cast 
are those who put their strength in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. The Bible calls such a person cursed. If you are going to rely on you, again, this is not just relying on somebody else. Relying on other people, yes, you are cursed. But do you realize that you are also a human being? And that if you are relying on your own self, that you are putting your faith in your ability, in your strength, in your willpower, in your wisdom, the Bible refers to you as being cursed. If you are a prayerless Christian, you are borderline with Peter. Somebody who assumes that they have it all figured out and they don't need God's help. They don't need God's intervention. And really, the thing here being portrayed is pride. Proverbs 16, 18 tells us what you should expect if you have pride. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be lowly in spirit amongst the humble than uh, to, divide this, to divide the spoil with the proud. That brings us to the end of the second thought that we are having around this. Do you remember the first one? Uh-huh. What was the first one? I'm being a true teacher here. Alice, Alice, Alice. I'm not preaching to Alice alone. Alice, please. In fact, you should come and preach the gospel with me. Okay, let me just remind us. Uh, is it possible that we, do Christ, we participate in Christian activities, yet we do not necessarily have a good relationship with God? The second one was... Ah, good, good. You guys are following. Uh -huh. There is need for us to realize that our, our willpower and our strength is not enough in life. More so in our Christian walk. The third thing. Once you realize that you, uh, you have sinned, how do you deal with that sinful thing? So we see Judas having sinned. Then we see Peter having sinned. In the root of their sin, it's actually the same thing. So literally, Peter and, and, and Judas did the same thing at the core of it. It manifested differently, but literally at the core, it was the same thing. But then when you realize you have fallen short of God's glory, when you realize that you have failed God in one way or another, or in that sticky situation you found yourself denying Christ like Peter, how do you deal with that sinful habit? How do you navigate that season? we get to see from the disciples two different ways that human beings get to deal with sin in their lives. We get to see Judas, and we get, we get to see Peter. Let's read Judas's account in Matthew 27, 1 to 10. Now, I have the microphone. I'd like to invite anyone who would like to help me read this scripture. Anyone who would like to help me read scripture? And it's not Alice. Anyone? Thank you, uh, MJ. Please come up. Matthew 27, 1 to 10. So Matthew 27, 1 to 10. Um, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and had him handed him over to Pilate, the governor, when Judas, who had betrayed him so that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse 
and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They, they replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hung himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you so much, MJ. So we see Judas being remorseful. First of all, he realizes that what he has done is sinful. So he is really remorseful about it. Let me just quickly mention this, that repentance is not remorse. I can be remorseful, but I'm not repentant. Remorseful is where I'm feeling sorry for what I have done. Repentance is four things. Number one, acknowledging I've done a specific wrong. Number two, stop, stopping doing that specific wrong that you have done. Number three, asking God to forgive you of that specific wrong that you have done. And number four, purposing never to do that wrong again. So Judas here is remorseful. And so he tries to figure out, so how do, I, how do I right the wrong that I have done? And the first thing he does is he returns the money, but the, the money is not accepted by the Jewish leaders, the, 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 religious, the religious Jewish leaders. And, and so he, he, he thinks to himself, so what else can I do to, uh, to redeem myself? And so he thinks, because Christ is going to die because of my betrayal, then Possibly the thing I need to do is give my life in return of Jesus' life. And so he hangs himself. But then his life was not enough even to pay for his reconnection with God and his reconciliation with God. And neither is anything that we could ever do. Even if we give our bodies to be burnt in the fire or we give whatever sacrifice that we can give, that sacrifice is not enough to, to right the wrongs that we have done. We see on the opposite side, Peter, who realizes after the third time that he denies Jesus and the cock crowing, he realizes that he has sinned. And he is also very remorseful. We get to see this in Matthew 26, verses 75. The Bible says, Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. And we get to see Peter very remorseful as well. But then Peter did not try to solve his sin and, and his wrong in his own strength. Rather, he looked back to God to be able to, to make him right with himself. We see in John chapter 21 where Jesus restores Peter back to himself. And eventually we remember Peter to be the first leader of the church. We remember Peter to be a, a hero of faith while we remember Judas to be one who failed. Why? Because one chose to handle sin in their own strength and one chose to look to God to help them solve their sin problem. This speaks into the second point that we had a bit earlier, the second thought that we had a bit earlier, that if you rely on your own strength, the Bible calls you cursed. 
But if you rely on God, then you are blessed. The fourth thought that we have around this sermon today is we do not have the secret service in Christianity. Uh, by secret service, I mean, do you know those guys who guard the United States uh, president or, or, or leaders? They call it secret service. Or in other words, I would say um, we do not have undercover Christians. It's either you profess Christ or you do not. I cannot be an undercover Christian or a, a, a Christian who is in the secret service that I am not necessarily publicly known. And, and the reason why many people ideally want to be undercover Christians is because they are trying to protect themselves. They are trying to, they're trying to ensure that they are, they, they are not persecuted for their faith or that uh, they are not discriminated for their faith or any of that uh, scenario. And if it's a place for standing up for Christ, then they would prefer not making it known that they belong to Christ. Now, let me read scripture here, and this will help us understand a little bit why what Peter did was wrong. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 to 33. This scriptures tell us, everyone who acknowledges me, and this is Jesus speaking, Everyone who acknowledges me public, publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do you love yourself so much so that you can't live out your Christianity? that you'd rather protect yourself so much, that you would rather have the benefit that you would get by not being a Christian and so not declaring that you are a Christian. We get to see undercover disciples of Jesus Christ in the Easter story. And these are recorded in John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. And there are two of them specifically. There is the, uh, there's Joseph of Arimathea, and then there is uh, Nicodemus. We get to see Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, where he comes at night in the cover of darkness. He doesn't want anyone to know that he is talking to Jesus because, you know, he still needs to maintain his position among us, the Jewish leaders. And if the Jewish leaders know that then he, this guy is talking to Jesus and he's come to believe in Jesus, that will jeopardize his work uh, and his position in society. And so he comes in the cover of night and has conversions with Christ Jesus. But then we also get to see Joseph of Arimathea, whom we are not told anywhere in scripture that he ever had a conversion with Christ. But after Jesus has been killed, uh, or rather after he dies on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body to bury him. So let me read from scripture. John 19:38 all the way to 42. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, aloes uh, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen, 
This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a, a new tomb in which no one had ever been, uh, been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was uh, nearby, they laid, they laid Jesus there. These guys, these two gentlemen, both uh, religious leaders, were undercover disciples. The Bible tells us clearly that they were disciples, but they were doing their discipleship undercover. Chini amaji, and in the same way that there could be some of us that in, in church we know you as a believer, but yet in your workspace, no one. In fact, if, if, if I showed up at your workplace and I say that you come to Nairobi Chapel, they will say, they will be shocked because they can't tell that you are a believer. Now, the reason, okay, let me just start here. There is so much that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus missed out in their relationship with God because they were undercover disciples. Nicodemus could only come at night, and the Bible tells us that he came once at night. So it was not an everyday night thing that he had a conversion with Jesus, but rather uh, possibly he would disguise himself and, 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 and maybe attend one of his teachings, but he, he could not do it openly. He, he had to hide himself. And Joseph of Arimathea possibly also learned from Jesus in the same way in, uh, by using a disguise. How much did these two and many others who were in the secret service uh, how much were they missing out on a relationship with Christ as compared to the 12 who were continuously with Christ? How much did they miss? How many teaching sessions did they miss? How much intimacy with Christ did they miss because they were not just, they were not willing to lay every day, hey, hey, everything down for the sake of Christ. Aside of everything that they would have missed for the sake of Christ, I'd like to propose to you that if we cannot see in your actions, in your words, in your living that you belong to Christ, then possibly you are not with Christ. Possibly you are the people we are describing in the first uh, thought that we presented earlier on, that you are practicing the Christian disciplines, but truly your heart is not in it. That if, this is, if, if that is who you are, then possibly you, we can define you as an, an undercover Christian or an undercover disciple. Jesus spoke and said that out of the abundance of their heart, the mouth speaks. So if I never hear you say anything that, that, that betrays the fact that you belong to Christ, then possibly you are not in Christ. Possibly you are just doing the rituals and you, are, you, you don't genuinely love Christ with all of your heart and, and with everything that you have and are. Let's move on to the fifth point. Is it possible that we are with Jesus, yet we cannot see him? Is it possible that we are with Jesus, but yet we cannot see him? And I'm saying this because sometimes we go through issues in life and we go through things in life. It could be grief. It could be that you lost your job. It could be that your marriage is, is just in a bad space. It could be that parenting is giving you such a headache. It could be that school is really stressing you out and, and just the issues of life have driven you to a place where you can no longer see Christ and, 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 and you can't really see him. A good example is the disciples. After Christ, imagine you have left everything. 
You are Peter, you are James, you are John, you are the disciples. You have left everything. You are Matthew, the tax collector. You have left everything to follow Christ. And for three and a half years, you have been following him and listening to him and learning from him. And then this dude that you have put all your faith in is crucified. It can tend to be dark at that point. That you had put all your faith in God, but it seems that this God you had put your faith in, he doesn't seem to really care about you anymore. He's not present anymore. And because of the grief of the season when Christ had been crucified, because however much Christ had told these disciples that I am going to come back, he had told them so many times, but for some reason, it, I think it didn't, it didn't get into their heads or they didn't understand it. I, I don't know, but these guys were so filled with grief. In fact, at, 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 at different instances, the, the disciples closed, closed themselves in a room uh, because of the fear of the Jewish leaders. Um, one of these uh, seasons, we see two disciples walking to a mouse. And these two disciples are on their, uh, as, as, they're, as they're on their way, uh, somebody joins them and they start having conversations about what has just happened in Jerusalem that previous weekend. And they talk with this person and they talk with this person and for a whole journey, they're actually conversing with Jesus Christ, but because of the grief within their hearts, because they're really troubled, because they're just wondering, so, so what's next for us? As in, we left everything for Christ. He is no longer there. So what happens to us? Is there hope for us? Because of the heaviness of their hearts, at least I think, they could not even realize that all that journey, they are walking with Christ. I'd like to invite somebody else to help me read scripture. Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. Luke 24, 13 to 35. Anyone who is willing to help me read scripture? All right. On the same day, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, walking to each, they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were talking, Jesus approached them and began walking with them. Although they saw him, they didn't recognize him. He asked them, what are you discussing? They stopped and looked very sad. One of them, Cleopas, replied, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened recently? What happened, he asked. They said to him, we were discussing what happened to Jesus from Nazareth. He was a powerful prophet in what he did and said in the sight of God and all the people. Our chief priests and rulers had him condemned to death and crucified. We were hoping that he was the one who would free Israel. What's more, this is not the third day since everything happened. Some of the women from, the, from our group uh, startled us. They went to the tomb early in, uh, this morning and didn't find his body. They told us that they had seen angels who said that he is alive. Some of our men went to the tomb and found it empty, as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, how foolish are you? You're so slow to believe everything the prophet said. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then he began with Moses' teaching and prophets to explain to them what he said about him throughout the scriptures. When they came near, when they came near the village they were, uh, that they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. They urged him, stay with us, it's getting late, and the day is almost over. So he went uh, to stay with them. While he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. 
he broke the bread and gave it to them. There, there, then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, weren't we excited when, we, when he talked uh, with us on the road and opened up the meaning of scripture for us? That same hour, they went back to Jerusalem. They found the 11 apostles and those who were with them gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has really come back to life and has appeared to Simon. Then the two disciples told what had happened on the road and how they had recognized Jesus when he broke the bread. Let us appreciate Phil. So we get to see these two disciples. Just a disclaimer, um, Jesus had more disciples than the 12. It's only that for the 12, he appointed them to also be apostles after he, uh, he's gone back to heaven. But he had more than 12 disciples, as you have clearly seen in today's text. So Cleophas here, um, being part of the two, and, and because of the situation and the scenario they were in, they were not able to actually discern that this is Christ uh, that we are walking with. Imagine having walked with Christ for three and a half years, or anyone, you have been so close friends with somebody for three and a half years, yet they disguise themselves and you can't tell it's them. Is that even possible? Like, like you could tell in the voice, you could tell maybe in how they walk, or you could tell in their choice of words that these this guys, this, I've, I've, this, we know him. But because of the heaviness of their situation, just like we find ourselves sometimes in grief or in hard situations, that we don't get to tell that Christ is with us. The Bible tells us, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushing in spirit. And to those who are heavily burdened today, you may not see him, but his promise is that he's close with you, and he'll help you navigate that season. And maybe the prayer we need to make in that season is that the Lord is together with us and that he would open up our eyes to see him. I'm reminded of Gehazi and Elisha, and, 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 and there was an army that came and surrounded the city that they were in. And Gehazi woke up in the morning and went and told the man of God, Elisha, there's a whole army here to arrest us. And the prayer that Eli uh, Elisha made for Gehazi is that, Lord, would you open his eyes that he may see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And, and, and God opened Gehazi's eyes and he was able to see. I want to believe that sometimes it gets hard to see Christ, but we can make that prayer and say, Christ, God, would you open our eyes that we may see you in this situation? I don't, think, I don't see you, I don't feel you, I don't think you are present in my situation, but just open my eyes that I may see you in this situation. Moving on swiftly, just around the same, is how much would we serve one, one another if we only understood that by serving one another, we are actually serving Christ? Imagine if Christ was physically here. Imagine, today you don't have a visitor, but imagine Christ was a visitor among us here today. And because when we are taking tea, that I go and be the first one on the line, and I get tea, and I get mandazi, and I come and serve that visitor. That actually in so doing, I'm not just serving the person, I am serving Christ. 
If we only understood that by serving one another, we are serving Christ, then maybe we would serve even more. Then maybe we would have more ushers welcoming Jesus into church. Then maybe you would have more worship. Oh, I least mentioned this while uh, Rosemary, you are mentioning. She was like, please mention worship team. Please mention worship team. So let me mention on your behalf. You can also join the worship team if you're looking for a ministry that you want to serve in. But what if we only understood that by serving one another, we get to serve Christ? Matthew 25 verses 40 says, The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatsoever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. And in this specific text, Jesus was uh, referring to that uh, at one point you visited me when I was in prison. Um, at one point you clothed me when I was, I didn't have clothing. At one point you fed me when I was hungry. And as we get to serve one another, we are actually serving Christ. We are actually ministering to Christ. If Christ came in person today here, how would we treat him? That is the same very way we need to treat one another. With that honor, with that diligence, because we are serving Christ. So is it possible that sometimes we are with Christ and we don't realize Yes, it is possible that my neighbor, as I serve them, I'm serving Christ. The third thing around that is that how hospitable would we be if we knew that everyone will welcome into our homes because they belong to Christ, that we, we were actually welcoming Christ. Let me read scripture and then I will explain it. Matthew 10, 40-42. Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever is, this is Jesus speaking, eh? Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose their reward. And Christ is saying, anyone who welcomes you because you belong to me, they're actually welcoming me into their own homes. Guys, if Christ was here physically, how many of us would be scrambling to literally welcome, to, to host Christ for lunch this afternoon? If Christ came physically here, you'd be making a queue to Christ, see, see you come after you visit so and so, see you come to my house, I'll, I'll have made tea, and after you, you have tea in my house, see the, uh, another person would say, come for dinner, and, and we will all book Jesus to come into our homes. But then he says that if you welcome any one of these because they belong to me, you're actually welcoming me into your own homes. Then possibly after service, we should be welcoming each other into our own homes and interacting with each other, not because of the person person's sake, but because of who they carry and because of what Christ said. Is it possible that we have Christ right there with us and we, are, we don't even have a clue that he is present? Abraham received visitors and in so doing, he did receive God, even though they just looked like ordinary people. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 18, if you'd like to read it. But let me read instead Hebrews 13 verses 1 and 2. It says, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. What if our perspective just changed a little bit? How much more would we love one another? How much more would we serve one another? How much more would we, would we host each other and be hospitable to each other? 
So I asked the last time, is it possible that Christ is right here with us and we are clueless, just like the two disciples walking into a mouse? The sixth and final thought around this sermon is, blessed is he who believes without seeing. Blessed is he who receives without see, who believes without seeing. We get to see uh, the story of uh, is it is it Thomas or is it Thomas? Who is, who is Thomas? Is it? Whichever depends. Okay, nursery school. So Thomas. Uh, we get to see the story of Thomas, uh, but at least because we are going to talk about it, we are going to talk At least this is going to be a good time. I see all that beauty. Okay. okay. Um, uh, John 2019. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Okay. Uh, John twenty twenty four. Now, Th Thomas, Thomas, also known as Didymus, uh, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, surely, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Let's appreciate Alice. Yeah. I should have you up here more. Eh? Just see how you, how, I've not made the church laugh any the whole sermon. You've any like two more. Eh? But you guys see now how she spices up my life. Cindy, good stuff. Um, so we get to see uh, Thomas, Thomas here uh, saying that I will not believe unless I put my finger on his side or on his, uh, in his hands and, and just feel the scars. Is it possible, like Thomas, because we have not seen in our lifetime God raise the dead, that we do not actually believe that our God is able to raise the dead? That we're like, I will only believe when I see. Is it possible that because I have not seen God answer my own prayers, that I've been praying about these things for so long, that I actually don't believe that God is one who hears prayer and answers prayer because I have not seen it in my own life? Is it possible that you don't believe that God still does the miraculous in this season. Because, I, because you haven't seen it, it's possible that you may not believe. This is what scripture tells us and what Jesus himself said, that it is blessed for anyone who, who believes without seeing. I pray that we will get to trust God, believe in him, trust him, even though we have not seen some of these things in our own lifetimes. Let me run quickly through the five thoughts that we've had in this sermon. 
that it's possible for us to do all the Christian activities but not have a good relationship with Christ. Number two, that our willpower and our strength is not enough to sustain us in life, more so our Christian walk. We also said that once we sin, because we are human and we fall short of God's glory, that once we sin, that we should not rely on our own strength to make ourselves right with God, but instead we should look to Christ to be able to make us right with God. Jesus says, I am the way, truth, and life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. Number four, we did, we did say that there are no undercover Christians. There is no secret service in Christianity. That if we are hiding Christ, that, that, that possibly it means that he is not the first priority in our lives. Or it could be that we are actually performing lip service to God and we are not genuinely having a relationship with him. Number five, we did say that it is possible that, uh, that Christ is present with us and that we are not aware that he is present. And many of us, when we get to heaven, we will really wonder and we will really be, uh, we will be shocked by the opportunities we missed to minister and serve God because we were, una we were unaware that he was present right there with us. But number six, we have said that blessed are those who get to believe and trust in God even if you have not seen it in your life practically. Practically. The first thing that we need to do before we do all these things is to, to trust in him to be our Lord and Savior. Before we believe in him to, to raise the dead, before we believe in him to answer our prayers, before we believe in him to do all these other things, the first thing he asks us to do is to believe in him, that he came and died on the cross for our sins, so that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The first thing he asks us to do is to trust him to make us right with God, to wash us of our sin, to forgive us of our sin, so that we may have a relationship with God. And for us to be able to do that, we only need to do two things. Number one, believe Christ died on the cross for your sins and he was raised from the dead on the third day. The second thing you need just to invite him to come and rule your life, to come and be Lord over your life, to come and be the one who has the final authority over your life. It could be that you are here or that you are online and you have never made the decision to receive Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. If you are here or if you are online and you'd like to make that decision, I'd just like you to make this prayer after me and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you came and died on the cross for my sins. I also am convinced that you, you rose from, the de from, from death on the third day. I do not want to rely on my own strength to solve the problem of sin in my life. So I ask you to forgive me my sins and wash me. I also invite you to be Lord and ruler over my life. Lead me in ways of righteousness. Fill me with the Holy Spirit and help me to have a good relationship with you. From this day, I am born again. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. If you have made that prayer for the very first time, I'd like just to invite you, if you're online, please, on the chat section, just say, I have given my life to the Lord. One of our pastors will reach out to you. And if you are here and you have also made that prayer before, uh, yeah, as in you have never made that prayer before and you have made it today, or you've made it before, but you have never told anyone, please come and speak to any one of our pastors. Speak to me. Tell me, I, I have given my life to the Lord today, or I have done this before and I have never told anyone. Uh, just come and, and share with us that we may pray with you, but also just guide you on how to navigate the Christian, uh, the Christian walk. But to the rest of us, I'd like to give us an opportunity to respond in prayer just for a minute, and then we close our service. What do, he, do you hear God telling you based on God's view of the disciples during the Easter story? Just respond in prayer for a minute and then we close. Dear Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we say thank you for speaking to us this morning. It is such a privilege, Lord, to be able to sit under your teachings, Lord, for you to softly and beautifully but powerfully speak into our hearts. I pray, Lord, that this sermon will not be a good sermon that we have had, but as soon as we walk out of, of that door, we forget everything and, and go back to default settings. But would you allow that this word would bear fruit in our hearts, and in our lives, Lord, that we would get uh, 30, 60, and 100. And really, Lord, I, I, I don't want 30 and 60. So, Lord, I'm praying for 100. So help us to really bear much fruit out of this sermon. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us that in everything that we do for you and to you, that it will flow from deep within our hearts, that it will not just be empty shells that we are doing. I pray also that you'd help us, Lord, to rely on your strength, on your wisdom, on you and not on what we have or are. I also pray for all of us that you will help us, Lord, that whenever any one of us sins in any one way or another, that we will turn back to you immediately in repentance, not just be remorseful, but turn to you in repentance. I pray, Father, that you would also help us, Lord, not to be fearful to live out our Christianity in our workspaces, that for most of us, Lord, our colleagues don't even know we are born-again Christians. Lord, would you allow that we would literally represent you in our workspaces because you have called us to be Christ's ambassadors. 
So help us to represent you, Lord, and therefore there is no space for us being undercover Christians. We also pray, Father, that you would help us to realize that you are present. Just like was prayed over Gehazi, Lord, uh, is it? We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes as well, that we may get to see that you are present and that you are making a way and that you are fighting for us. Lord, we also pray that you'd help us to believe even in instances that we ourselves have not seen you do some things. That, Lord, if you say you're going to do something, even if it has never been done before, if you are speaking to any one of us here, just like Noah, and you're telling them, build an ark because there's going to be a flood, yet at that point it has never rained before. Lord, for those you are calling out to step out by faith, help us to believe, Lord, and to obey you and to do those things, even if we have never seen such things happen before. That we will not rely on our own experiences to obey you. But Father, we will rely on trusting you and on believing in you. As we go our separate ways, Father, we pray that you would protect us and you would keep us, that you would fight for us, that you would bless the ark of our hands, and you would allow us to experience you throughout this week and the rest of our lives. And this we pray in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like to invite us to be upstanding as we end our service. The, bened the, the benediction today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, from verses 17 to 19. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen.